The 1989-1990 Loyola Marymount squad is one of the most memorable college basketball teams of its generation, a reality rooted in its run-and-gun style of play, as well as the tragic on-court death of its star, Hank Gathers. That turned the Lions into America's team in March 1990. Today, Jeff Fryer, the third-leading scorer on that Lions team, a fearless shooter who jacked up an NCAA tournament record 22 three-point attempts against Arkansas in 1989, joins the 19.9 podcast to discuss his four-year career with the Lions, the unorthodox scheme concocted by Coach Paul Westhead, the emotions of Gather's death, and the team's resilient run to the Elite Eight in the 1990 NCAA tournament. Jeff, thanks for joining us here on the 19.9 podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. So, you know, Jeff, so much ground to cover with you. I want to go way back, pre-Loyola Marymount, and I want to take us through your basketball origin story so how did you first become involved with the game? So when I was younger, I would play all sports, but I was really good at ball sports, um, including basketball. I, was, I, I believe God blessed me with good hand-eye coordination from an early age, and I was able to shoot the basketball pretty, pretty well um, early on, and uh, I just worked at it. And I played with my brothers, and – they were older than me, and I played with them and their friends. So whenever I'd take the ball inside, they'd usually rough me up a little bit. So I, I learned to shoot from outside, and that's part of the reason I, I became a good shooter as well. Yeah. But um, that was kind of my upbringing. Gotcha. As older brothers are prone to do, mine included, you know, they beat you up if you go inside. So you're kind of forced to be crafty or become a good shooter. That's certainly your case there. So you star at Corona Del Mar High. Uh, how did you end up at Loyola Marymount? How did that kind of come about? What was your recruitment process like? So I was in the uh, my junior year. Bef- I had a good season, and I was being recruited by uh, a few schools. I almost signed with a Division two school before my senior year because they had me convinced I couldn't play Division one basketball. I would sit on the bench. You know, I wouldn't play that much. Um, but I decided to forego that and and – and have a try to have a good senior year, which I had a really good senior year. And then a lot of schools started recruiting me. So Paul Westhead came down to Corona Del Mar High School and walked around campus with me. And he has NBA championship ring on, and I was really impressed by that because he coached the Lakers to the NBA championship a bunch of years before. But he told me, Jeff, if you come to Loyola, I will give you the green light to shoot whenever you want. And I was like, yeah, right. But true enough to his word, he was absolutely right. And when I got there, he, he gave me the green light. You mentioned Coach Westhead and he had that that ring on. And so you're a Southern California guy, right? You know, a kid. Yeah. And so he had to have – you had to know who he was. And, and, and what was it like having him sh- – like that's that one degree of connection to Magic Johnson and Kareem, right? And so what was that like? Were you intimidated by him? Was it – you know, did you were you in wonder of him and awe of him? I mean, how did and he had such a unique style too? It was a pretty unique personality, and we'll talk a bit more about him. But what was that recruitment like as a 17, 18 year old having Paul Westhead talk to you? Yeah, I was in awe of him. I was impressed, and 
you know, what better coaching resume than winning the NBA championship? And I was like, this coach is telling me I can shoot the ball every time I touch it. As a score shooter, that's what you want to hear. And, and uh, you know, I it was a, um, just an incredible experience at Loyola. But, but Hank and Bogue signed uh, about two weeks after I did. I was his first recruit. And uh, that's when it started to roll in uh, the, the momentum. You know, it's interesting. So I want to get a sense. You talk about Hank and Bo, and we're going to come to them. But your freshman season, that is Coach Westhead's second at the at the helm of the Lions. And they had just broken a string of 10 consecutive losing seasons. So I want to get a sense, just what was the state of the Loyola Marymount program when you arrived there in 1986 in the fall? Well, I think it wasn't really relevant as far as making headlines and making big runs in the NCAA tournament, you know. They had made the NIT tournament that year before I got there, but but they weren't, you know, really on the map, so to speak. But I think uh, once we started signing a, a few guys, some transfers, then the excitement started to rise, and we figured we could have some, some good teams at that point. And you mentioned uh, Bo Kimball and Hank Gathers. They arrive on campus at the same time you do. They're transfers from, from USC. What were your first impressions of those two guys from Philadelphia? They were absolute ballers. You know, Hank was uh, just an intense – they are both intense competitors. And, you know, Hank was a relentless rebounder, scorer. Couldn't shoot outside of 10 feet very well, but he would definitely score anywhere inside 10 feet and, and get the ball uh, off the boards. But uh, Bo was more of a shooter-scorer from outside, and he had – Tremendous moves. I'd never really seen a guy do that kind of thing, the, the kind of moves he would create in practice, and even in games he would he would do them too. But it was just a testament to Coach Westhead that gives us so much freedom to play how our to our strengths, you know. And he didn't really guide us for for shooting the ball at any time. He actually got upset with me um, for not shooting. That was the only time he would really get upset. Probably the only coach who ever got angry at you for not shooting, right? Well, I'll tell you a little story. My freshman year, I got the starting job after a few games. And uh, after about three minutes, he pulled me out of the game. And he walks down to the end of the bench and he says, Jeff, you know why I took you out of the game, right? And I was like, "Uh, maybe bad defense or something. And he's like, no, you passed up a shot. If you ever pass up a shot again, I'm pulling you out. So I got the I got the uh, point, and that never really happened again. So off to the races. Let's talk about Coach Paul Westhead's uh, system. Describe it for people who, who who aren't familiar with it, who haven't seen it. How do you kind of say this is what we were all about on the floor? Well, we had a unique style where we pushed the ball, we pressed full court, we would give up lay we wouldn't give up layups intentionally, although they would get layups sometimes because um, we didn't want them to score, obviously, but that got them caught up in our style. We lured them into our style of play, which players would get their career highs and, you know, all those, that sort of, you know, great stats and all that, but they would be tired by the end of the game, and that's what our strategy was, was to make them tired so we would keep pressing on until uh, the end of the game and pull away in the last part of the game, but that was a testament to our preseason conditioning and we we prided ourselves on being the best shaped team in the country, and that's how we could run that kind of style. 
I think you, you bring up an interesting point. You kind of lure your teams into your style. And so the guys who are accustomed scoring eight points are scoring, you know, 20. And the guys who are accustomed scoring 12 are scoring 25. But you're okay with that because ultimately you guys get the win. And it's easy to get caught up in that style, right? It is because it's hard not to because we're pressing full court the whole game. You'll get layups sometimes and they'll be taking bad shots and hurried shots, but they're not used to that style, but we are. You know, so that was the uh, intent of it, you know, just to get them out of their comfort zone and playing our style. How different was that than anything else you had done previously? Well, actually, my high school coach was a defensive coach. We tried to – we would speed it up a little bit but and take good shots, you know. But he, would, he um, was a very intense defensive coach, which is a, a bit of a contrast from there to Loyola, a little bit. But, you know, every other place I played, we didn't run that style, the Loyola style, you know. Um, so it was just a kind of a unique opportunity to play that. It was, a, it was a lot of fun, too. You know, I played 10 years after college, and, you know, it wasn't the same after that. But Yeah, that's interesting. And you mentioned that it was a very physically demanding style, too, and, and conditioning. So give us a sense of how you and your teammates got prepared for that. What was, like, the typical practice like, or what was preseason conditioning like? Can you take us into that a little bit? So there's a sand dune hill in Manhattan Beach that we would run maybe once or twice a week, which it was about 100 yards long, and it was very, uh, you know, 45 degrees. Very steep, yeah. Very steep, yeah. So that really helped get our legs in shape and our stamina. And we'd also do a lot of long distance and and sprint running as well the other days and a lot of weightlifting. And so we uh, we really hit it hard, and we knew – that we had to in order to run that style. And in, in practice during the season, we would not take take it easy. We would All of our drills were full-court drills for the most part and just, um, you know, continuing to build our stamina and our conditioning so we could we would not get tired at the end of games. And I'm curious if there was like – it was such a unique style of play. Was there also a change in mindset for you too? We talk about you had to change physically – what about the change mindset? Because you mentioned your high school coach was a defensive-minded coach. You couldn't come up the come up the score, you know, cross half court and just jack up a three. West had wanted you to do that if you were open, right? And so, what kind of shift in mindset did you have to have to play that style? Well, everybody had to buy into the system. You know, if if there was one guy who wasn't bought in, then it wouldn't have worked. But we we all had um, we all respected. Paul Westhead and and bought into the system, but for me, actually in high school, I I had the green light as well. He was a defensive coach, but I was one of our only scorers, and uh, I had the green light to shoot in high school as well. So we didn't have a three point line in high school, but most of my shots were pretty far away. But um, and that so with that said, you know, offensively, it it didn't change that much for me for my mindset, but um, defensively a little bit. We did play – people think we didn't play defense, but we played full-court defense and tried to wear them down. So basketball people kind of know that we did play tough defense, but it's just full-court. And that's a really interesting point that, you know, the defense is just a little bit different than the Bobby Knight half-court man-to-man defense. Right. Um, you know, you're playing a very aggressive style of defense. It's just it's 94 feet, not half the court. And so – 
But there was some criticism against the Lions style of play because it was such an outlier in that time, in that, in that era. And so people would say, oh, this isn't really true basketball. How did you guys kind of react to that internally? Well, we just tried to leave it out on, on the court, you know, and, and let our record tell what we were all about. And because all the coaches in our conference, um, the, the Gonzaga coach, all the coaches that we played against in our conference really didn't like Coach Westhead very much because they were all slow-down coaches, control the game, control the tempo. And Paul came in and changed the whole conference around in his five years there and made a big difference. They had to adjust and, and try to do things differently against us. And, and we were we were winning games, so, you know, of course they wouldn't be happy with them. It's like preparing for the triple option in football. You know, it's such an yeah. outlier that when you – have you know seven teams in your conference who play a more traditional style and then there's this one outlier i gotta imagine that's hell to prepare for if you're gonzaga or university of san francisco or santa clara (laughs) oh yeah so you have your freshman season it's a it's it's a a sub 500 campaign but then Mm -hmm. things really trend upward during your sophomore campaign for the program that's when you get kimball's and uh, bo kimball and hank gathers they're in the mix now you yourself are pouring in almost 13 a game. That team runs the table in the West Coast Conference. It finishes 28-4. and four. You guys lead the nation in scoring. You're getting 110 points a game. You get your first tournament win since 1961. I'm curious about how that season, your sophomore season, how did that set the stage for what was to come in the subsequent two seasons? Well, some people thought that was our – our best team of that era, you know, um, we did have a pretty strong team. We just ran into a tough North Carolina team in the tournament. Um, but it did set the stage and gave us confidence for the future. And that w- if we could do that now, we can continue to do it with uh, a lot of the same guys, a lot of the same players playing. So I think it just gave us a boost of confidence just in the, in the coming years. And so let's talk about that. You kind of move forward in your junior year, the 1988-1989 campaign. You guys get another conference title. You get a tournament appearance. And everything seemed to be setting up for a phenomenal year in 1989-1990, your senior year. Um, That's also uh, Bo and Hank's final year as well. So you guys are getting some preseason top 25 love. You give UNLV the eventual champion that year. We'll talk about them later. You give them a a solid game in the season opener. You guys take down ranked teams, Oregon State, LaSalle, on the road. Uh, you run through the West Coast Conference with a 13-1 and record. As the regular season ends, how would you describe the energy of that team in, in 1990? Um, we were on a roll. You know, we, we were strong. We had our um, fast break was clicking. You know, we were scoring a lot of points. We were averaging 120-something points a game, which is – about 13 or 14 more points than we had averaged the record-breaking year a few years before, a couple years before. So we were clicking, you know, on all cylinders, and guys were were playing well. Guys were healthy for the most part, you know. Of course, Hank, but uh, was not. But um, you know, we were we were rolling, and we we thought we could give it a shot to in the NCAA tournament to make it all the way because um, we had yeah. the firepower and we had the the different style to that gave us a chance to win because we would, our tallest guy was six, seven pretty much. And playing against giants, we, it gave us a chance to win playing that style. 
How much do you think you're the really unorthodox style of play? Um, and again, being an outlier, how much did that kind of feel empowering and inspiring and motive and give you the confidence to think like, Hey, we could, we could really do some damage heading into the tournament. Yeah. Well, that's the key. You know, we are in better shape. We thought than any other team in the country, we ran the system that, um, that uh, gave us a chance to win by, by, uh, you know, our running style, which other teams were not used to. And that gave us an advantage. And anybody can win on any given night. And we thought we had a chance if, if a team goes cold, they're not playing their style. They're used to, they have maybe two days to prepare for us in the tournament or maybe a, a few days. And they find out who they're playing. They don't have time to prepare for us. So uh, we thought we had a chance. Cool. It, let's, a day that I, I would imagine you you remember pretty well, uh, Sunday, March 4th, 1990. This is the West Coast Conference Tournament Semifinals against Portland. You know, in kind of preparing for this, I think about the song American Pie and Don McLean um, called the day Buddy Holly passed tragically in a car crash. He called that the day the music died. And I think for college basketball fans um, of a certain era, you know, that day, March 4th, 1990, represents something a bit similar as it's the day Hank Cather's dies on the court. So when you think about that day, where does your mind go? What moments from that day remain with you here 32 years later? Like, where were you when it happened? And just kind of how did things, how did you process things that day? Well, you know, he obviously went up for an alley-oop dunk and came back and collapsed on the court. But I was about five feet away from him. um, You know, it was a tough time for us. to process that, um, you know, it was uh, not easy for us. Obviously, we uh, I, I just remember Hank's legacy and how, what an intense competitor what he was and leader of our team. And I try to remember the the good things. You know, I'm a Christian. I believe that all all people have a time and place when they're going to to die because everybody has to die at some point his was um dramatic way that he passed and then it was it was his time it was unfortunate that it happened like that and that we had to go through it and it was a roller coaster after that as far as you know we would mourn his death and we went to bury him and and mourn his death but we're the next week we're winning games so it was a it was a tough time in regards to, you know, mourning and winning games. Um, uh, kind of a roller coaster of emotions. So, but we got through it, you know. Uh, and we're, I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to play with Hank and Bo and all the guys. You know, we played as a team. You know, even though everybody had their roles and everybody had the green light for the most part, we were a team and we bonded together during that time and still remain in contact and friends today. How did, you know, I think when we're 22 years old, we feel very immortal, right? And we don't think about end of life. And Mm -hmm. so how did you kind of personally process things during that time? I mean, after all, Hank was a guy who you had spent countless hours with over the previous four years. Oh yeah. I mean, at the time I was, kind of lost you know I it sent me on a journey of faith actually because I didn't know I didn't even think about God and didn't know what happened when I died and um 
I started thinking about what happens when I die. Hank, Hank passed super quick. And what happens to me when I die? So it actually uh, was good in the fact that uh, I became a Christian about 10 years later because I was, you know, on this road of what's life all about. And uh, that gave me peace and joy in my heart and gave me purpose and hope and uh, gave me a future. You know, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I don't have to worry about what's happening when I die because I know where I'm going. So in that, in that regard, uh, you know, it was, it was for the good. And so I'm thankful. Well, there's that saying from darkness comes light, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious about, you, you mentioned kind of this, this roller coaster of things. I think that after Hank's death, the, the West coast conference tournament is called off and you guys are declared the winner. There's some talk, um, if you guys are going to play in the tournament or not, you guys, there's an on-campus memorial service. There's a funeral in Philadelphia. So you guys are kind of like all over the place, actually, from, you know, the Southern California to uh, Philadelphia. And, and I can't only imagine where your emotions are. So how would you describe the state of the team at that, at that time? Uh, we were really down. You know, we, <clears throat> we had a team meeting a few days later and and during that team meeting, we had to decide. Paul Westhead told us, you know, you guys got to decide what you want to do. You want to keep playing? He left it up to us. And uh, Bo kind of led the meeting and, and and let us take a vote, and we decided to play. I don't think it's it's good to give up in those situations, you know. After looking back at it, it's good to keep going forward and pressing on and, and uh, make the most of it. That's what we did. You talk about Bo leading that team. Um, I'm curious about who in, in that meeting too, but also just amid this a very emotional time, was there someone who really centered the team and gave it some perspective or focus or really held things together for you guys? Was that Bo or was that someone else? No, it was probably Bo and Tom and and uh, a few of us. You know, Bo and I were captains of the team and along with Hank. And so we had that was leadership, uh, leadership capacity. So, yeah, that's kind of all the guys kind of rallied. And, you know, it wasn't easy, but uh, we made the most of it. Did you see a, I'm curious if you saw a shift in Bo like after this, because, I mean, these guys were high school buddies who went all the way from Philadelphia to the University of Southern Cal together. They made the transfer to Marymount together. Um, just as you were kind of observing Bo, this guy who you had been close with for four years, how did you kind of interpret how he was kind of processing things and what did you maybe see change and or, or shift in him? Um, of course he was sad, but he was strong. You know, he, he kind of helped, helped other guys, you know, uh, get through it as well. And, um, just had to become more mature pretty quick, you know, like that's kind of, a big shocker, of course, and you know, it made us grow up pretty quick and and try to um, try to be the best we could be and 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 moving forward, not knowing what was going to happen and not knowing uh, what the next day was going to bring. So he he was instrumental in that aspect. 
So you guys, of course, do decide to play in the tournament. And on March 16th, you open the tournament as a number 11 seed against New Mexico State. You're playing in Long Beach, so not too far away from campus. Um, after everything that had happened over the previous days, what did it feel like to get back on the court that day? That was 12 days after Hank's passing. You know, was it strange for you? Was it cathartic? Was it empowering? Was it sad? Was it a relief? Just what do you remember feeling that day in Long Beach? Probably all of those things, you know, we didn't know what to expect. We, uh, just thinking back, you know, uh, didn't, didn't know. We just wanted to come out and play our hardest and let the results be what they may, but it turned out pretty good that first game. And we, yeah, well, you guys really, you, I mean, you take it to New Mexico State, and that sets up a game against defending champion Michigan, and you guys down the Wolverines, right? In fact, you guys put 84 points on them in the second half. I want, Let that settle in for a moment. 84 <laughs> points, not against, you know, some D3 school somewhere. This was the defending national champs. Now, a little bit different than the previous year, but that's still a talented squad. Um, you're the one leading the charge. You hit a still-standing NCAA record, 11 threes, and you finish off with 42 points and a 149-115 victory. Um, what was that game like for you, Jeff? Well, people often ask me about that game, and I just tell people I shot a lot. That, <laughs> I'm bound to make some eventually. No, but that game, you know, Coach told us before the game, guys, bombs away. Shoot. Every time you get the ball, don't worry about whether it's going in or not, just bombs away. And so we took that. I took that and was like, yeah, okay, coach. And then, uh, you know, I had a lot of open looks. Our guys were getting me the ball at the right place at the right time. Is you know, in that type of offense, sometimes you get a lot of open looks because they're tired. They're not getting back on defense. And uh, it leaves me open. And that's how Hank and I work so well together because if I was shooting well, you know, they would come out on me and leave him one-on-one -on -one with his guy. He could take it every time. And if they teed it off to guard him, it would leave me open. So um, during that game, obviously, we didn't have Hank, but that's how I was able to score a lot of points during my career. So It's worth noting as well, after that game, you guys are in the Sweet 16. There's an Arsenio Hall appearance after that game too, right? So what do you, you know, I can't imagine you went to college at Loyola Marymount three or two and said, you know what, I'm going to be on Arsenio Hall in a few years, right? No, that was kind of interesting because uh, Paul didn't want us to do that. And I think Bo kind of talked them into it for letting us go be on the show. <laughs> I mean, this is, right. Arsenio Hall is at the height of his powers here now too. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, that's true. I was super nervous. I mean, I couldn't talk. I was just, Bo is a natural talker, and uh, he, he, he. Uh, but it was, it was fun. You know, we got to be on there, and um, I think Coach didn't want us to go on because we had, we weren't done playing yet. You know, and he was thinking maybe after, after the tournament or something when it was gotcha. over. But, but yeah. Well, today these days you can get paid for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> it, yep. So let's talk about the seat Sweet 16. You guys match up against Alabama. Alabama on that team has Robert Horry, and they slow the game down, which I got to imagine, you guys, this wasn't your first time you saw a team really come at you with a slow-down, methodical approach. Uh, it, it works for the first half because it's a 22-21 game at the break. 
What was the turning point in that game that allowed you to pull out the win? Well, yeah, teams would try to slow us down, but not like them. I mean, they would have three-on-one fast breaks and pull it out and not try to score, which is unimaginable. I wouldn't even never have thought a team would do something like that because that's pretty much an easy basket. But when you said 22 to 20, that's that's amazing because I've in my whole college career I can't remember scoring that few points. But yeah, we tried to get it get it going in the second half, and you know, just they did slow it down and they were effective. Um, but we still won the game, and I think Robert already had a shot at the buzzer to tie it up, and it just careened off the rim. But but yeah, that was a different type of game for sure. Yeah, and so your story continues, and you guys are in the Elite Eight, and you have a rematch with UNLV. You open the season with them. But now you're back with them, and, and let's be honest, man, that running Rebel squad, that is a bad, bad squad. They got Larry Johnson, Stacey Ogman, Greg Anthony, um, and they knock you guys out 103-73. They go on, win the NCAA title. Um, take us into that locker room after that game, and can you kind of bring us behind those walls and give us a sense of that environment? Because for you, this is the end of your college basketball career, and that's enough to be startling for people. But then when you consider what the last, you know, two weeks, three weeks had been like for you guys, mm. it had to feel even weightier. So what was that locker room like? Kind of sobering, you know, like I, I can't remember what it was like, but I just remember in my own mind, I was kind of sensing like, what now? What's going to happen now? Where am I going? Where, you know, what are my teammates going to do uh, that are graduating? What what is what happens next it was kind of a question mark in my mind and was i going to play basketball was i going to i mean in my exit interview with coach westhead he was like you know jeff you don't have an nba body you should go back to your hometown and start doing business um as a career and i was like what no way i'm playing but 32 years later i'm in my hometown and i have a business a basketball business with my academy so i'm thankful you know it worked out yeah, pretty you, you had a nice uh post-graduate <laughs> run though in, in basketball and you know sometimes getting paid for basketball even if it's not the nba isn't the worst thing in the world you know yeah yeah I had it fun. can be exciting yeah <laughs> and it, it seems like that for you that was a period of growth though too personal growth it too. was for sure I, i'm thankful for it you know i wouldn't have it any other way i wouldn't want to change it you know i played in germany for the most most of the time i learned german i speak it fluently now so I use it that much here because not many people speak it, but, you know, I, I did learn the language and broadened my horizons, lived in a few different countries, and I, I was thankful for it. But you're right, it, it you know, it, it caused personal growth and also, you know, it gave my life to Jesus, and that's the most important part. In, in your heart of hearts, you guys ran up against a buzzsaw there in UNLV, but in your heart of hearts, where does that team go with Hank? I think we had a chance, you know, he, he was, we were strong. I mean, we played UNLV, we were up on them that first game of the season in the preseason in IT. And we had a good chance to beat them and things didn't go our way, but we thought we were getting better and we were, you know, during the season and we had a good chance because that style gave us a chance. So, you know, I think we would have, we would have done really well with him. 
as you reflect on that that season uh, with the wisdom gained over the last 32 years, how do you put that season and that emotional journey into context? And, and what important memories stick with you? What did you learn about yourself from that? Well, you know, it was just a, it was a, one of the most important times of my life and one of the most exciting times in my life. Um, I, you know, I don't probably, probably something that I will, well, obviously I'll never re- forget it, never forget it, but um, I don't, you know, it's just hard to explain, but it, it caused me to know that to get through that and to get through, you know, emotionally and spiritually and just that I can get through all sorts of things, you know, and it gave me perseverance and to do that. And uh, thankful, thankful for that opportunity to play with Bo and Hank and the rest of the team. And those guys, they're, they're, you know, teammates for a lifetime, and and uh, I'm thankful for them. Now, you're you're involved with the game today as a coach. Tell us what you're doing today um, with your basketball academy. So um, after I, I played for 10 years professionally, and then I started coaching in high school and college and, and just – and then was an investment banker for five years, figured out that wasn't my calling, so I took a step of faith. And 10 years ago, I started a youth basketball academy uh, here in Newport Beach, Costa Mesa area, Huntington Beach, California. And we we coach kids. So we have a – it's a club program. We have usually about 10 teams. And we also train kids and run a lot of camps. We just opened a facility, a half court, to train kids in Costa Mesa, California. And, you know, I'm thankful. It's, it's my calling, I believe. And – you know, I like giving back to the youth what I le- learned along the way. All of our coaches, seven coaches, play college basketball, and they they have the same vision and and desire, and, and they're good to the kids. And so I'm super thankful for where um, God has brought me to this point, and I'm just, you know, thankful, super thankful for um, the job he's given me and and for uh, what the future holds with these, these kids. and. And uh, and just we also do outreach. We go to the Philippines every summer with our coaches and some families from our organization to do outreach and and coach basketball because they love basketball in the Philippines. So it's on lockdown now, but so we can't go. But we've been going for about six years, and that's really rewarding as well, fulfilling. That's pretty cool. And so. How does your experience with Loyola Marymount, that four-year run there, Coach Westhead, how does it influence your coaching these days and kind of what lessons or philosophies are part of what you're practicing as a coach today? Yeah, good point. I had some really good coaches growing up. My club coach was played at Stanford and was a really encouraging coach. My high school coach was a defensive coach and an encouraging guy. And Westhead was, wow, just a great motivator and and uh, positive and so I was blessed with good coaches. So that's how I try to coach and our coaches as well in our academy. And, you know, I think some coaches coach by fear and some by love. And we take the love approach because in the long run, it works out best for the for both parties and and uh, you earn their respect. And I mean, both are different 
of course, in their own way, get get that fear based coaching. But that's that's the way we coach out of love, and and we think that gets the best results. I want to get a sense if we if we could just end here talking a little bit about style. Now you were a shooter, and you see the game today where shooting is so valued. Were you a little bit before your time? Do you think? <laughs> How would you function in today's game, Jeff? <laughs> they shoot a lot more threes these days. Well, for example, you know, I think I might have been uh, because, uh, you know, I was looking at some statistics and heard that when Larry Bird was playing in the NBA, they averaged about six or seven threes per game as a team. Now it's over 30 per game. And so, you know, it's a, it's a game of shooters and, and these days. And so, yeah, I think, you know, thankful for coach Westhead giving me the green light all those years. And, you know, he, he was a master, you know, he at her, at his system and never wavered from it, never um, changed it over his career and stuck with it. And he was a, you know, just a unique kind of guy that stayed with his invented style. Um, I heard that he was, he's friends with, uh, he's a really good NBA coach for a long time, but anyway, he said, oh, that'll never work. And, and like, he's like, nope, I'm going to stay with it. And uh, he did, and it worked out really good for him. When you think of Coach Westhead, how would you describe him to people who don't know him? Like, if they if they want a great Paul Westhead story to kind of illustrate who he is, what where does your mind go there? Yeah, he was just a um, – he we had his – we respected him right away because of his, you know – coach the Lakers for the NBA championship, of course. But he had our attention, you know. He when when he was speaking in practice, he'd he'd come up with these Shakespearean quotes because he was a Shakespeare scholar. He taught a class at Loyola and we didn't understand what the heck he was saying, but you know, we knew he was a very intelligent guy. He was a friendly guy. But he when he wanted us to do something, he was a great motivator. And so that's what I'll remember about him. And um, and we still go to lunch every periodically, every six months or so. And he's great. You know, he's a very encouraging guy. And he's a high-energy guy, too, even to today. He'd probably want to be out there coaching still. But, uh, but yeah, he's he's great. Love him. Does his – does his if you guys had that style in today's college game, how do you think you'd fare? You know, the, the scores have been going down over the years because I think coaches want control and they want to be able to – they don't want to get fired because, you know, guys are doing their own thing. I think it would be – you know, if he got the right players for it, he could do some damage again. I mean, he could do some damage, that kind of style, um, because it's not there. It's not there right now. I mean, we it was a new, unique experience for us. We had the right players for – the right positions. And if, if a guy was to do that again, I think it could work. Well, Jeff, you've been uh, beyond generous with your time and we so appreciate you joining us here on the 199 podcast to talk about one of the most memorable teams of its generation. Thanks so much, Jeff. You bet. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the 199 podcast. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do. And while you're at it, leave us a rating or view five stars only like the basketball camp. We also have links to all of 199 social media so you never miss a release. Until next time, 